So today we are concluding our study on the Apostle Thomas. We have spent a journey with him that has taken us to the highest of highs, to the lowest of lows. We have been with a man who has expressed his faith in what? In being with the Lord where the Lord was and doing what the Lord was doing. But he also had questions. The, the, the question to the question, is it, is it okay to ask questions? The Bible says that if any man... Hold on, i got to adjust my cable. For those of you who don't know me very well, I am ADD. So it's... it's there we go. For those of you who want to know, it's kind of like this little sweaty snake that's laying on the black, back of your back. You like that? Yeah, and it gets kind of funky. And either you fix it or you try to ignore it. But anywho... We see Thomas who asks questions. Is it wrong to ask questions? It's certainly not. The scripture says if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. The challenge that you and I face is this. When we ask of the Lord, what is our heart's condition? We can ask the Lord for wisdom, for guidance, but we must always be very diligent not to ask him in a way and with an attitude that questions his authority. As our children grow up, they may ask us questions. Well, why should I do this or you do that? And you go, well, let me help you understand. If you put the toaster in your bathtub while it's plugged in, it's going to be an electrical bathing opportunity. We want That's funny right there. We tried to teach them. Thank you, Andrew. Late's better than never. But we tried to teach them the ways of life. But there can come a time when our children or our grandchildren can ask us a question in a manner which isn't for information, but a questioning of authority. That's when the problems start. And so when we ask of the Lord, and the Lord says, ask, we must be very diligent to guard our hearts and our minds that we're not questioning the Lord's authority and sovereignty over us. And so we see Thomas, we've walked through this experience with Thomas, and he's had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and now we're going to see how he finishes. Can we agree that in our lives we can have some really sweet highs? Okay, I just, I just wanted to make sure we weren't having group laryngitis. Yes. Yes. There are times in our lives when you think it just can't get any better without me stepping into glory. We all have been in the lowest of lows. And sometimes that season in the valley can seem like it lasts forever. But the Bible teaches us that wherever we are, God is there with us. And he will see us through. And so we see Thomas who's gone through the highs and the lows. And now today, we're going to see how Thomas finishes. So we're going to begin with Mary as she sees Jesus. If you have your Bible, you can join me in John, the 20th chapter. And we're going to begin in the 11th verse. John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Remember, the, tomb, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. It was to let us in. And verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head... And one at the feet. Let's pause just for a moment, shall we? I had a thought. I'm not going to call it a revelation, but I had a thought. Has anyone ever thought about the position of these two angels as they sat in the empty tomb of Jesus? Yes. You have? have? Okay. 
Maybe everyone else hasn't. So I'm going to share with you. Have you not, Misty? Well, this is for you. In the Old Testament, there was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. This was a symbol of God's presence and promise. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was what is called, translated, the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, we see two angels, one at, the, one at both ends. And once a year, during the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies with bells around one leg and a rope around the other in case God struck him dead so they could drag his carcass out of there. But he would go in and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. Why? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And so this act of worship and obedience was a sin offering, a covering for the nation of Israel for the year. Now this was a temporary offering because they would have to repeat it year after year because the offering had not yet occurred. That's who Jesus is. But can I suggest to you that as she looked into the tomb, she was seeing our mercy seat because the blood of the perfect lamb had been spilt over the mercy seat that was accompanied by the angel at one side and then the other. Do you see those quick hands? My friends, I believe the Lord was showing Mary first that the mercy seat of the Old Testament had now been fulfilled completely, totally, and forever. The atoning death of Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. What? He washed it white as snow. That's free. It doesn't cost you anything extra. Verse 13. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So we see Mary sees Jesus. Mary had come for the final preparations of Jesus' body to be permanently buried. I have to believe at this point Mary is exhausted. Listen, when you lose a loved one, it's exhausting. You may gut it up and you may have adrenaline and you may have a lot of things, but on the backside of that event, Mary had come in her exhausted state. I can't imagine she slept well. I can't imagine she slept well because of the events, because of the number of people. I just... I have to believe in my sanctified imagination she was exhausted. She came expecting a difficult task. In our day when we lose a loved one, it's a clean, difficult task. But can you imagine she's lost this loved one in this heinous of way. She didn't sleep and now she's come to this tomb to prepare the body of Jesus, which is a mess. That's a, that's a medical term, by the way. It's a mess. She's expecting a mess early in the morning, but her love puts her there. Listen, love will take you to a mess. Amen? Amen. Well, she was there because she loved him. In her exhaustedness, she was there because she loved him. But she found something she didn't expect. She didn't go there expecting to see a resurrected Jesus. She didn't go there expecting to see the angels. I would say that she didn't even go there expecting to see a tomb open. But she went. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Just like Mary on that morning in her weariness and going to take care of a mess, sometimes it's hard to see Jesus, amen? Sometimes it's hard for you and I to see Jesus. Now, I've been walking with the Lord over 35 years, and I'm going to confess to you that sometimes I still struggle to see Jesus. Our circumstances can blind our eyes. It can be worldliness. That's an old school term right there, worldliness. What does that mean, Jimmy? That means when the saints of God look more like the world than the Lord. So if you can imagine, Peter, when he gets out of the boat, the Bible says when his eyes were firmly affixed on Jesus, he walked on the water, right? Everyone over here thinks so. Everyone over here says nothing. Oh, I see that that head in the back. But when his eyes begin to drift... He began to sink. Brothers and sisters, when we are fully affixed on Jesus, the song says, the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his mercy and grace. But the challenge you and I face is the world constantly calls our name and our eyes can begin to drift. It's hard to see Jesus when he's in this peripheral and the world's in this peripheral. It's even more difficult to see Jesus when we've turned completely around and are back to Jesus. Worldliness will impede your vision. Secondly, it's weariness and worry. Weariness will help will will clog clog will cloud your vision. Worry will cloud your vision. I don't know if you're worrying about something today, but my friend, my encouragement to you is this. Hand it to Jesus. How, why? Well, for one, he's already whatever you're worrying about. If it's something around a corner and you don't know it's there, Jesus is already there. If there's a gorilla around that corner and you think it's a gorilla, guess what? Jesus beats the gorilla. But weariness and worry, third, wants and dreams. Now, this is where the road gets really rough. When our dreams and our wants aren't the same thing gets really hard that's when it gets really hard this morning when the Rockies awoke to this new reality I promise you this is not their hopes and dreams but this is now their reality and brothers and sisters sometimes in our lives that's the truth of our lives Being orphaned at 11, that wasn't my hope and dream, but it was my reality. Sometimes our wants and our dreams, when they don't parallel what life affords us, can blind us to seeing Jesus. And lastly, the world's wickedness. What does that mean? Listen, I don't know about you, but this world's lost its ever-loving mind. People be crazy. Sometimes when we look at the world, and part of our challenge is we look at it too much. You remember the first illustration? When we look at it too much, you just might think, I don't think God's got this. 
because the world is crazy. Brothers and sisters, there's only one world I need Jesus to be king of, my world. And I, I, listen, I got enough in my world to try to take care of it now. That doesn't mean I don't care about your world because I do. It doesn't mean I'm not going to join you in your world because I will. But I'm the king. I'm the head actor of only one film, and that's my life. And God will hold me accountable for my life. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabbi, John 10, 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Mary knew the name of Jesus, excuse me, heard the voice of Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to drill down on that here in a second. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. When Jesus speaks to his sheep, they recognize his voice. Now, ladies, I've never spent the day... As a woman, I've most assuredly never spent the day as a mama bear. But this is what I know is a mama bear knows her cub's voice. Amen. You could be in a room full of people fighting over a room full of stuff. But all you need to hear is that little cub go, mama, you're on point. Isn't that true? It's true. Now, guys, I'm not diminishing us. I'm not diminishing us. But I'm just saying, mama bears are mama bears. And when Jesus spoke to Mary, she turned around and she didn't go, who is that? She didn't go, well, gosh, I, I, I think that sounds familiar. No, when Jesus spoke to Mary, she knew exactly who it was. Why? Because she knew his voice. And my friends, today we can know the voice of Jesus. Amen. We have to learn it first and foremost. Listen, you don't know a voice until you learn the voice. Now, you might, you might recognize the cry of an infant. But part of the challenge you and I are tasked with is learning the voice of Jesus through his word, through his worship, through his work. Listen, I've never heard the audible voice of Jesus, but I've heard Jesus' voice. When I'm doing the work of the Lord, I can hear his voice. When I stray and find myself in the land of sin, I can hear his voice. Not audibly, but his word, his worship, and his work have taught my heart and my ears what his voice sounds like. We have to listen for it. We have to listen for it because sometimes it's a still small voice. Listen, Jesus doesn't always yell. Sometimes he just whispers. And when Jesus speaks, people should listen. You know how it is. If you ever had a coach or a parent or a teacher and all they did was yell, guess what? Ooh, you just tune it out. My friend, Jesus doesn't always yell. My friend, you don't want Jesus to have to yell. Amen. 
I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, when my parents got to yelling, there was discomfort soon behind it. I have a friend of mine who over his years has built two businesses and is now in his third. The first two, he'll tell you. I built it, I got prideful, and God took it. The second one, same pattern. And he'll tell you today, if I brought him in here today and I asked him to tell you, he'd say this thing, God, don't yell, I'm listening. Because he believes that in those two, in those two instances, he tuned out what God had to say. But I promise you today, he's tuned in. So we have to learn it, we have to listen for it, and then we have to listen to it. Have you ever failed to heed good advice? Yeah. You always know the moment after. My dad, back in the day, is that an ice cream truck? Listen, I don't care who you are. <laughs> yeah, Papa Bear's list for ice cream truck. Listen, I don't care who you are, but if that ice cream truck comes in here, somebody better go get me a bomb pop. <laughs> but you have to listen to it. My dad taught me how to tune my car back in the day when I could do it. And when my bride and I were early in our marriage and we were broke, well, <laughs> kind of like we are Anyway, <laughs> I was going to tune up my car Plugs, rotors, cables, the whole thing. I spit, it took longer than it should have. It was getting late in the day. I start the car, and it's running okay, but I can hear this. Tick, 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 tick. And I look down, and there's this coil wire that's supposed to be plugged firmly into the rotor cap. And I look down, and I'm like, oh. Listen, if you don't know, my father's voice was crystal clear the millisecond after I touched it. Because I pulled my hand out that looked like a monkey claw trying to grip a banana. And in true man form, I look around. Did anyone see that? And secondly, I prayed, God, is this hand ever going to open back up? You got to learn it. You got to listen for it. And then you got to listen to it. Listen, God's speaking to us. And it has been my experience that more often than not, it's my failure, not his, because I don't listen. And then we've got to long for it. Do you want to hear God's voice more than anything else? In seeing Jesus, Mary may have thought that the kingdom would be established. That was supposed to be immediately, not emotionally. Thank you, autocorrect. She was ecstatic to see him and didn't want to let him go. She grabbed on to Jesus. You know why? Because he once was dead, but now he's alive. And she doesn't want to let him go because she doesn't want to risk losing him again. And Jesus says, let me go. Not because he doesn't love her, but because he has things to do. But more importantly, she has things to do. She can't be obedient to Jesus if all she does is hold on to him. That's like, that's like those who, who, who wall themselves off from the world and all they want to be with Jesus. Listen, that's awesome, but that's not the whole pie. Jesus says, come aside, be with me, learn about me, love me, worship me, and then go serve me. If, if Mary was going to hold on to Jesus, she couldn't go and proclaim what he would have her to proclaim. Secondly, we see that the disciples see him. 
verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The disciples saw Jesus on the same day in the same place they had celebrated Passover with him. And they had been absent of peace and bound up in sorrow and uncertainty and fear. They've locked themselves in out of fear of what may be out there. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever locked yourself away? We do. And Jesus offered them peace by God. My friends, there is no peace in this world. There is gentle distraction. But you will never find peace. Why? Because our world says no matter how happy you are, no matter how content you are, there's always something else that you need. How do I know that? Well, how much advertising do you see every day? Our world constantly tells you, you're not happy. Man, you, you can have this and you can have that and you can have that. But you, you're not happy. Why? Because you need the next. Whatever that is. I mean, my goodness, how many times can they reinvent dishwashing liquid? But they do it. How many times can they reinvent teeth brushes? Have you ever wondered why it's called a toothbrush? Anywho. I'm just telling you the world is designed to tell you how, how unhappy you should be. If you want to find peace, if you want to find contentment, there's only one place. And it's in the Lord. Again, the things of this world, what, grow strangely dim. I don't need the next and the best. Don't need it. Why? Well, one, I'm not taking it with me. And two... I got other things. The peace by God, the peace with God. You remember the mercy seat? Now through Jesus, we can have that permanently. And then the peace of God. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He gave them evidence. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The reason Mary couldn't hold on to him and the reason the disciples had to unlock the doors, why? It's because Jesus wants them to go do something. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, then they are forgiven of them. And if you withhold forgiveness uh, from any, <clears throat> it is withheld. I'm not going to drill down on this, so you'll want to come back on Wednesday night because we'll talk more about it. This isn't Pentecost, but this is the primer. God, through Jesus Christ, has given his Holy Spirit, who now can indwell the saints of God like it never could do before, so that they can go and do what Jesus has called them to do. In Genesis, God breathed into man physical life. You remember? Out of the dust, God created Adam. And he breathed life into him. Well, here Jesus breathes spiritual life. And my friend, if you've never met Jesus on his terms, if you've never personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my friend, you need this same breath. Because until a January morning in 1987, I was dead in my, my sins. 
I was a dead man working, working and walking. But that morning, I received the breath of life by faith through grace. Now we get to our guy, Thomas. One of the remaining 11. The man who goes, Jesus, don't you remember they want to kill you up the hill? Jesus said, we're going. He goes, well, okay then. Let's go with Jesus and die. Listen, sometimes the attitude isn't great, but the obedience is right. It's like the little boy that got in trouble. Mama put him in the corner. I was over at the Phillips house not too long ago, and they've got a timeout corner. In the corner, I'm like, right on. They sent little Johnny to the corner. They said, sit down. He sat down. And Johnny looked at his mother and defiantly said, listen, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Listen, obedience isn't always fun. And obedient isn't always what you want to do. But Thomas says, okay. Lord, I'll go with you and I'll die with you. John 20, 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know where he was. They may have sent him on a Grubhub run. I don't know. Maybe he needed a two for 99 taco from Jack in the Box. I don't know where Thomas was, but he wasn't in the room. And so he didn't get the Holy Spirit. He didn't get to see Jesus. He missed all of that for some reason. Verse 25, so the disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Listen, the testimony of others is okay. But sometimes we need to see Jesus for ourselves. Amen? Amen. Listen, I appreciate when you tell me where you've been and who you've been with and what God has done. I appreciate that. But there's times I just need to see Jesus for myself. We have a whole world that considers themselves Christians because they follow you on Facebook. But what they need to do is see Jesus for themselves. That they may see him through you. They may see him through your works. But if they're going to be saved and heaven is going to be their home, they must see him for themselves. I lived in the company and in the pleasure of my little Appalachian Pentecostal grandma. I heard Jesus and I saw Jesus, but I had to see Jesus for myself. Dear friends, don't you mistake someone else's relationship with God for yours. And don't you allow the world to tell you they're going to piggy bank. That's a funny one too. Piggyback on you. My friend, Jesus died for individuals. Judgments are for individuals. And salvation is individual. Too many want what you have. But they're not looking to Jesus, they're not listening for Jesus, and they most certainly aren't following Jesus. Verse 26, eight days later, eight days later, can you imagine the dinner table? Thomas, we've seen him. I know already. And I have to believe with the Holy Spirit, things were a little different. 
Maybe they were a little kinder. Maybe they're a little gentler. Maybe they were a little funnier. I don't know. But eight days, Thomas is like, I know, but I want to see Jesus. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now the world would say that Thomas is a doubter. The world would say that Thomas just was too lost in what he said he needed. May I ask you this? Why would Jesus meet him exactly where he was? If Thomas was so wrong, why would Jesus meet him exactly where Thomas needed him to meet him? I propose to you that if Thomas was so wrong, Jesus would have said, okay, bro, now you see me. Are you believing? No. This is what I know. is when Jimmy needed to see Jesus, he met me right where I needed him. He didn't say, Jimmy, you know, you have all those years when you got drugged to church. You got all those youth camps. You got all those youth retreats. You've got all those vacation Bible schools. Listen, you got all that. No, 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 no. I did have all that, but I was just too blind to see, too proud to receive. No. In the midst of my worstness, Jesus met me there. And even in my stunted pride, because the day I received Christ as my Savior, this was my prayer. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, prove it. Now, I took the steps of obedience. I did my part. Not because I was whole hog in. 35 years later, ladies and gentlemen, he's proved it every day and in every way. It doesn't mean I don't have valleys. It doesn't mean I don't have dark hours. It doesn't mean that I don't doubt myself. It doesn't mean that I, I don't have questions from time to time. But Jesus met me right where I was. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he'll meet you right where you are. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. There's no shame in that game. There's a lot of people who saw Jesus, what? Who didn't believe. Right. <clears throat> Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Who is that? Oh, I've seen Jesus. I've seen him in you. I see him every morning when I watch the sunrise. Amen. And every evening when I see the sunset. When I step out on my back porch and I see all of creation declares. Oh, I've seen him. I just haven't seen him. I've seen the evidence. Thomas hadn't seen Jesus and he had not yet received the spirit. He was not calling them mistaken, dis disillusional, or liars. He just wanted to see Jesus for himself. My friend, the world will call you a lot of things. 
They'll call you weak. They'll call you misguided. They'll call you delusional. They'll call you a Jesus freak or a Bible thumper. They'll call you a religious fanatic. And I could go on because those are just the ones I used to call you. When in truth, they just need to see Jesus. I spent way too much time in my years growing up in the church looking for the hypocrites instead of looking for Jesus. And if you come into this church looking for the hypocrites, you'll find them. Why? I'm the chief of them. But if you come into this church looking for Jesus, I believe you'll see him. Jesus lovingly met Thomas where he was, and I'm so thankful for that. Thomas had been through a lot, and he needed to see Jesus just like us. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're going through today. But what you need to see is Jesus. What you long to see is Jesus, and that's okay. When Thomas answered Jesus with my Lord and my God, what did that look like? Was it just lip service? Don't you love lip service? Listen, um, I didn't really order this. And they go, oh, well, I'm sorry. Enjoy. <laughs> lip service doesn't, doesn't really do anything, does it? Soon, Thomas, as all the other believers, will receive a mandate from the Lord found in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My Lord and my God. Yeah, but I can't do that. Too many of us. Far too often tell the Lord that. You say, Jimmy, I've, I've, oh, I've never toward, told the Lord that. Is there something you should be doing that you're not doing? Hmm? Or is there something that you do and all you do is kind of gripe and complain about it? Is there something you should be doing that you're not? Is there something you are doing that you shouldn't? You see, we, there's a lot of ways we can tell the Lord, nah. And don't hear me say I don't do it. But hear me say I don't want to do it, and I strive not to do it. On the occasion I do, the Lord speaks to me, and, whew, man, that's a tough one. But what did Thomas do? The doubter, as they say. Well, Thomas arrived in modern-day India in 52 A.D. Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected in 33 A.D. This makes India one of the first countries where Christianity took root. India. You don't think of India as a Christian nation, do you? Well, because it's not. But the gospel is there. To give you an idea of how early Christianity and the faith went to India, Armenia was the first European nation that the gospel took root in. And it wasn't until 301 A.D., some 250 years later, 
Was Thomas ahead of the curve? Uh, yeah. In his 20 years of ministry in India, he planted seven churches. Only seven, Ronnie? Yeah, gee, Thomas, why don't you do something? <laughs> you think the ground is hard now. But according to the Syrian Christian tradition, Thomas was killed with a spear in Chennai in 72 AD. Why was he killed? Because those who opposed Christianity would rather silence him than tolerate him. Now, our world here in the great United States, they'll cancel you. They will unfriend you. They will put you in social media jail. But we're not down to killing yet. Thomas, the doubter, gave his very life for Jesus in a foreign land trying to share the gospel with those who would receive and those who didn't want it so bad they murdered him. So the question I find myself asking is like Thomas requested, have I seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? I have. And I do. And I believe by faith I will. Have you seen Jesus? Have you fully placed your faith in his completed work and received only the forgiveness he can offer? Have you been born again? Is heaven your home based on his promise, not your works? Based on his provision and not your hope? My friends, I stand in heaven as surely as I'm standing there now, not because I'm worthy of it, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. What's your hope of heaven? Because my life will end, and if the Lord tarries, and heaven will be my home, and there will be a wonderful reunion there someday. What is your hope for what happens after this life? Have you seen Jesus? If the answer is no, why not? Is it people? Is it people like me? You go, man, if that's what Christianity is, I don't need it. On behalf of all of us, I'm sorry. Please forgive us. If it's what you've seen and heard about church, yeah, yeah, we're hypocrites. Yeah. We don't. We don't necessarily want your money. God's got enough. Whatever it is that you've heard or whatever it is that you've seen, okay, I'll give you that. But the question is, is have you seen Jesus? And if you haven't, I would love to introduce you. It would be my joy. If the answer is yes, then how are you living out your faith and fulfilling your call and sharing the gospel that Thomas carried to modern-day India and gave his life for? Monday is a great day to recommit to our mission field. 
to walk and talk and living and loving and serving like Jesus. I'm not talking about being odd for God. Ronnie, I'm not talking about going there tomorrow with no shirt with a big G painted on your chest. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about living in a way where people go, man, there's just something different about you. And the way you speak, the way you treat others, the way you work, all things as unto the Lord, the way you handle success, and even greater is how you handle tragedy. Will you join me as your pastor to recommit to your mission field? Tomorrow isn't just Monday. Tomorrow's going to be Victory Monday. Go Cowboys! <laughs> but tomorrow is our next day in our mission field to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people in a world that is so thirsty, their tongues are sticking to the roof of their mouth to see something true, honest, and transformative. And what they're looking for is Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Thomas. Lord, a brother who asked a lot of questions and was always obedient. Father, help us as we ask questions. Lord, because we admit we don't always understand the who, what, whens, and whys of life. But Father, we could find great, company, great confidence and company in the who. His name's Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us, beginning with myself. Lord, that we might be found faithful in you. When we come to you through the doorway of death or when you come for us through the rapture of your church. And Father, I pray today for anyone who has not yet seen you for themselves. Father, I beg for the opportunity to hold a conversation that they might, might be able to make an educated decision Lord, not to manipulate them into something that they don't truly believe. Father, because if I can manipulate them into something, someone else or something else can manipulate them out of it. But Father, that they might see Jesus for who he really is in light of who they really are. Lord, the proclamation is my responsibility. The salvation is solely yours. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we may step into our mission field and see hope and opportunity at every turn. Father, we beg that our world might see Jesus through us. For it's in his name and by his authority we pray. Amen.